prophet to the nations. I have chosen you out of the world. You did not choose me. I chose you. I have given you all authority and power. You shall receive my power and be my witness. You shall be strong and do great exploits. You shall be bold. You shall be fearless. You shall stand in my name. You shall be... Amen. Good morning. Glad you're here with us today at Vertical Church. Let us pray together. Father, this morning we have lifted up your name. We have worshipped you. We continue in that same spirit now, Father. And we're asking you to open our eyes. Help us to see truth. Help us to have faith today that we've never had before. In a day that demands that the church be the church. In a day that demands that individual believers stand in the confidence and the boldness of knowing you are with us and you are for us and your word is true and your spirit empowers us. May we be that people today who hear your word, who believe your word, who act on your word without compromise. Speak to us today, Father. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God is the God who works and loves to work in the impossible You know, it's in the impossible times that you and I are most tempted to back away from the situation. It's when the situation gets to a place where we can't figure out how there could be resolution, when we can't see how there could be an answer, when we can't see any way out. It's in that moment that we back away when God calls us in that moment to draw close. He calls us to draw right up next to him, believe him, hear him, trust him with faith. A young teenager was spoken to by God one night. This teenager was overwhelmed at the presence of God. This teenager was overcome by the presence of God and what he had to say. The message so startling that the teen couldn't begin to think of how it could apply to their life, of how it could ever come to pass. The teen was Mary. The message was that she was going to have a child. Having never been with a man, she was going to have a child, and not only just a child, but the child would be the son of God. And faced with a situation that seemed impossible, God spoke through an angel and said this, With God, nothing will be impossible. She took those words and said in response, May it be so for me. She responded with faith, dauntless faith, up against a situation, a calling that seemed impossible. God loves to work with the impossible in our lives. 
In fact, he looks for those who will actually believe that he will work in the impossible. We've based our study, this book of Daniel study called Dauntless, around a verse that's really not in the book of Daniel. It's in 2 Chronicles 16, and it says this in the verse, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God looks and is looking today for those who will believe him, who will trust him in the face of what seems impossible, and in those people who will trust him in that way, this verse says he will show himself strong. He's looking for those who will believe and trust him in those moments. We're today in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, if you've got a Bible app, if you've got some kind of device you're following along with, it's Daniel, chapter 2, is where we are today. We're going to try to take in the whole chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read selected pieces of it, and I'll reference some of the ones that uh, I'm, I'm uh, condensing for you. Daniel, chapter 2, we have, uh, we've already finished one, obviously, and we found here that Daniel, along with many, have been taken captive from Jerusalem. They've been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, uh, a wicked king, a powerful king, one who has come in and taken over. The people of God have walked in disobedience for some time, and because of that, God allowed an outside source to come in, and they became captives. And Daniel and his friends have been taken into the king's court. They've been made part of his administration. And part of it is because Daniel insisted that he would not defile himself with the king's food or wine. Now you'd think if you stood for what God had said that that would cause you a demotion instead of promotion. But what happens is God blesses Daniel's tenacity. His boldness, his dauntless faith to stand without compromise, and he ends up being promoted to a place as one of the king's great advisors, him along with his friends. We're going to see today what happens next. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says this, now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. You know what it's like to have a bad dream, right? I mean, you have that dream in the middle of the night. Maybe you had a Taco Bell a little bit too late. And somehow in the middle of the night, something came over you. You know what it was. And all of a sudden, you have this dream. And you want to you wanna try to remember it the next morning to tell somebody. But the minute you start talking about it and trying to explain it, you realize this is nonsense. You know? <laughs> You ever had that moment where you're trying to explain a dream you had and you think, these people think I'm crazy. I'm just going to stop right here. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, wicked man, conquering ruler, smart guy, he has a dream. And his dream is troubling to him. Now see, this is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And we read throughout the Old Testament that God sometimes spoke through dreams. Now it's different today because God has finished his revelation. 
It was finished in Christ. It's been completed in the scripture. And so don't go home tonight, have a dream, and wonder the next morning what God is trying to say to you through it. That is not how God reveals himself through dreams anymore. I'm not saying God can't use a dream to help you see something, but God is not revealing himself through dreams any longer. Hello. Amen. Aren't you glad? It'd be difficult to make up or make out some of that stuff. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and it's troubling to him. It's so troubling that he's going to call his, his advisors. Now, if you read on in the passage, I'm not going to read these verses to you, but he's going to call in his magicians, his astrologers, his sorcerers, and his advisors. Because you see, Nebuchadnezzar is not the most righteous man. Nebuchadnezzar is part of a system in the city where they worship 50 gods and one primary of the 50. And so he's terrified of all these gods, what they could do to him. And so he is all the time seeking the advice of astrologers, sorcerers, wondering what is going on here in my administration and now what is going on in my dream. You see, it was important for the king to know his dream. He didn't want to forget it, and he had to know the interpretation. And as we read along here in the passage, you get down to verse 5, and it says this, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar is a little bit frustrated. And it says that the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Now, I want you to be clear what's happening here. Nebuchadnezzar's had a dream. He doesn't know what it means. He's actually beginning to forget what the dream is all about. And so he calls these counselors, these advisors, these sorcerers, these magicians. He calls them all together and says, here's the deal. I want you to tell me not only what the dream means, I want you to tell me what my dream was. (laughs) If you read the passage, they say, well, just tell us what the dream was and we'll tell you what it meant. He said, no. I'm not going to tell you what the dream was. You're going to tell me what the dream was. Now, this is a difficult situation. I'd hate to be one of those guys. I've got to tell him what his dream was and what the dream meant. And they knew they were in a very difficult situation. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar goes on in verse 6. He says this, however, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. If you don't, I'm going to cut you up into little pieces. If you do, promotion, reward, great honor. Mm, Interesting set of options there. We skip on down to verse 10. It says, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Nebuchadnezzar, what are you thinking? That's never been done. No one can do that. This is impossible. How can you ask us something that's impossible? Verse 11. It's a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. 
These guys recognize the only way there's going to ever be anyone that tell you something. It's going to be from the gods. Verse 12 and 13. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious. I guess angry wasn't enough. He had to add very furious with it. And gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. You can't tell me? All of you are going to be gone then. I'll get some new wise guys. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. To the, to the way it's worded, we don't even get the idea that Daniel even had the opportunity yet. That there was a bunch of people who never even had the opportunity to try to even answer. And the decree has gone out, kill them. Just kill them all. I don't need them if they can't help me. Tell me my dream and the interpretation. Then you'll live. It was an impossible situation. A decree has been given. It's been written and directed. You can't undo it. The king is heartless and cruel. How are you going to change that? The government is against Daniel and his faith in God. Daniel is a slave in a foreign land. A place he did not want to be. Have you ever been in a place you didn't want to be? And it had nothing to do with you. It had something to do with someone else who caused you to be where you are right now. This is where Daniel is. I don't want to be here. It's not my fault that we're here. It's someone else's fault. Daniel is in a difficult, if not impossible, situation. Daniel has absolutely no control over his situation. At this point, he has nothing he can do to affect change. And the king has asked for something that no one can do. This is an impossible situation. It's at times like this in our life that we get a little nervous. It's at times like this in our life when we think, I, I give up. I, I don't know what to do. I don't see how there can be change. This situation has been created by someone else for me. I didn't even cause myself to get here. Someone else did. And I don't have any control over it. I don't know how to get out of it. The only way out of it would be to change the other person's heart. And you know you can't make someone else do something they don't want to do. It's an impossible situation. Anybody ever been in an impossible situation? Hello? Thank you. You're not alone this morning. Everybody in this room has been or is or will face a situation in which you will not know the answer. You will not know what to do next. It may not have even been because you caused it, but it will be something that will bring you to the absolute end of yourself. And this is where God does his greatest work. 
What you call impossible is what God has designed to show himself strong. This is our first big truth this morning. What you call impossible is what God has designed to show himself strong. This is why it's so dangerous for us to label a situation impossible and then walk away from it. Because though we call it impossible, God says, nothing will be impossible for me. And what you're calling impossible is actually designed to be what connects you to me. What causes your reliance on me. And what causes you to come to the ever-living end of yourself. And boy, that's tough to do. I was out in the backyard yesterday. Heather and I were working. We were cutting some branches off of trees. And um, Callie, our uh, golden-slash-German shepherd, still young puppy, loves to go outside and bark. You know, that's what dogs do. They bark. And if there's something moving a block down the street, she wants to bark about it. And so I had my chainsaw out there, and she was fine. She was inside the fence. I was outside the fence, not barking. The minute I knelt down to go, she, stop that, Callie, stop that. I mean, just kind of a nuisance to the neighbors, you know. So I get her to stop. I go back over. She's just, just now, every time I just bend over, she's barking again. I don't know what it is about the chainsaw. So, I, Callie, stop. Just stop that. Just stop. So, I go back over. She's like, stop. And then she's like, stop. I, I just kept playing that game until she was just like, sometimes we have to come to the end of ourselves. We have to be brought to the place where, where we say, Stop. Stop. Stop trying to fix this. Stop trying to do this. Stop trying to make this happen on your own. God has designed this moment in your life so that you will totally, completely rely on him and not yourself. And that's what's happened here. An impossible situation has been uniquely crafted for Daniel, he's out of his homeland, a death threat against him, in a situation he did not want to be in, in a situation he did not create, in a situation that will soon take his life. What Daniel does next reveals his dauntless faith. Verse 16, so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Daniel is a wise man. He asked the king for some time. He says, I'll give you the interpretation. 
I need to go back and meet with my friends. Verse 18. He says, I need to meet with my companions that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel didn't panic. Daniel didn't get angry. Daniel didn't get depressed. Daniel didn't start a protest. Daniel said, I'm going to seek God on this matter. He is the one who has answers. He's the only one who has answers. And I'm going to consult my friends because they also seek God. You know what's fascinating is that Daniel does this with a sense of boldness. He's not begging in this sheepish, scared-to-death frame of mind. He asks with confidence that God is going to answer me. I know he will. And he goes back with his friends with that kind of confidence. You know, there's a big difference between thinking God could do something and God will do something. There really is. If you go asking, wondering if he could, it's not the same as going and asking knowing he will. Knowing that he will provide. He will answer He will care for you. He is with you. He is for you. His word is true. His spirit is alive. That's a big difference than sheepishly wandering in, wondering if possible, maybe could you. I wonder if it might be. It might just so happen that. No, that's not what Daniel does. He goes with confidence. And this is really where dauntless faith is born. Dauntless faith is born when we seek and believe God in the dark. That when you're in the midst of the darkness, when you're in the midst of the trouble, when you're in the midst of the confusion, when you're in the midst of the impossibility, when you're in the midst of it, you still say, God is for me. God is with me and God will hear me. This is what Daniel does. He goes confidently in the bible there's not a lot of distance between verse 18 and 19 i don't know how many minutes or hours pass but verse 19 is beautiful because it says this then the secret was revealed to daniel in a night vision when was the answer given at what time hello in the night in the dark in the midst of the impossible, when it all seemed hopeless, that's when Daniel sought God and that's when Daniel got an answer. God revealed to Daniel in a night vision and Daniel quickly responds with blessings to God. There's a beautiful prayer that happens in verses 20 through 23 that Daniel prays just in glorious worship of God. 
for answering him. He says, God, you're the one who sees in the dark. You're the one who gives wisdom to the wise. You're the one who gives knowledge to those who have understanding. You are the one who has saved us. You are the one who has given the answer. Now, what happens, verses 24 through 45, is the king's dream. Daniel tells the king, well, here's what you dreamed. I'll tell you exactly what you dreamed because God had revealed it to him. And Daniel not only tells him what he dreamed, he tells him what the dream means. And man, if we had more time, longer series, another day, we could talk about just these verses because what Daniel explains here is this statue that the king sees. And he describes it in detail, what the head is made of, what the body is made of, what the feet are made of. He describes it in detail and Nebuchadnezzar just sits there in awe because it is word for word what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. God gave Daniel the answer. What's fascinating is part of it, Daniel says, King, let me just tell you this. You sought the words of others and they have no answers. But I'll tell you this, the God of heaven, he knows and he is speaking. Daniel is unashamed about who gives the answer here. And Daniel goes on and he describes this statue, what it was made of, what it looked like, and the king is stunned. And then Daniel gives the interpretation because what Daniel goes on to explain is what's going to be the future of the kingdom, the future of his own life, Nebuchadnezzar's life, and the next generations that will follow him, all the leaders that will follow. And he explains all of that as coming future events. And Nebuchadnezzar is in awe. If we were studying that, we would see that at the end, Daniel says, and there's this small stone that breaks away from the mountain and it comes down and it hits the feet of this statue and it causes all of it to crumble and it becomes a mountain bigger than any other mountain. And what he's talking about is the kingdom of God. Daniel is presenting the gospel that's to come. He's talking about Jesus who will reign and he lays all of this out before Nebuchadnezzar. And you might think, oh my goodness, Daniel, you're taking a big risk. Daniel, you really want to step out? all this you really want to predict a future you want to foretell a future here for the kingdom that's really not all that great Daniel do you really want to put yourself out there and say that only God the God of heaven can answer this that God has even given you your power Nebuchadnezzar Daniel just lays it all out there flatline in front of Nebuchadnezzar and you might think Daniel what are you doing you're gonna lose your job you could lose every position you've got You could lose your possessions. Daniel, if you keep this up, you could lose your life. Do you really want to take that kind of a bold faith step before the godless, cruel, wicked King Nebuchadnezzar? And Daniel is dauntless. Daniel gives glory to God. Daniel's not afraid to tell the king, the truth. What happens next is written for us in verse 46. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. Didn't see that coming. Not what you would have expected. The king godless, cruel, take over the world, Nebuchadnezzar falls down 
on the ground, face to the ground before Daniel and ask that in his administration that they gather up gifts and bring them and present them to Daniel. Wow. Verse 47. The king answered Daniel and said, truly, your God is the God of all gods, the Lord of kings and the revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Verse 48, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Wow. God rewarded Daniel because he was dauntless, because he chose to believe that not only God could, but that he would. He was bold, and he named the name of God. He glorified God. He pointed Nebuchadnezzar to God, and God blessed him. And rewarded him. You see, God is drawn to action when we have faith that is dauntless. You remember where we began today with the verse from Second Chronicles 16. That the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are faithful, so that God can show himself strong on their behalf. God is looking for people today that he can see they trust him. They have leaned in fully into him. They are fully persuaded, not that he could, but that he will. And they are sold out to him. As a result of Daniel's faith, the impossible happened. A wicked king softened his heart. Daniel's life along with some others, was spared. Daniel was promoted. Daniel and others saw God work. Daniel saw his purpose right then, in time, that God had for him. And God was glorified. No one could have pictured, predicted that would be the result. Because at the beginning, we saw an impossible situation, and we would have never seen this coming. But it's because Daniel said in his heart, I believe God is for me. He's with me. This is an impossible situation, but I'm not afraid of impossible situations. I'm not afraid of the threats of the enemy. I'm not afraid of doing something that others have failed at. I'm not afraid of doing something I've never done before. I'm not afraid of where I am. I will trust my God. Daniel, in a sense, was saying, if there's anything I'm afraid of, It's not believing that God is going to work in this situation and me missing out on it. Now, I realize this is um, somewhat of an easy story to hear. It's from the Bible. Spiritual men are in it. We know the end of the story. But put that down into our lives right now. Put it down into where we live. Put it down into the situations in our life that we still are walking through. Put it down into some relationships. Put it down into your marriage. Put it down into your 
relationship with your children. Put it down into that situation with that family member. Put it down into your finances. Put it down into your job situation. And all of a sudden, we have a a lot of impossible situations that we have thought, I just don't know. I just can't see. I just can't imagine how anything good could come from this. And we have moments where we go to a church service or you've been to some concert or you've been to some other experience where you've heard God speak and you for a moment believed, I do believe God's going to work in my fill in the blank, whatever it is. And you did for a while. But time began to pass and nothing happened. The promotion didn't come. The financial situation got worse. The relationship did not get resolved. The struggle intensified. Things happened, but they weren't what you thought were going to happen. And in that moment, in that moment where we all live, it's so tempting to get angry, to get depressed, to pull out of the situation and to think, I guess God can't or is not going to work in this situation. And we do this thing in our, in our mind, in our heart where we Instead of taking the thing that was impossible and letting it be what connected us to God, we take it and we put it somewhere behind us. It's too big, too difficult, too emotional, too invested, too impossible. And we give up on that thing. It's really like we um, take that piece, whatever it was, and we, we carried it for a while, but we reached a place where we said, I've just got to put that on the shelf and leave it. I've got some boxes this morning that represent some of the areas in our life that we... Um, we put on the shelf some areas that God spoke to us once about some areas that God really gave you a heart for and a vision for and you you believed him after a while it didn't happen when you wanted like you wanted in the way you wanted and you just said "Eh." here are some of these the first is a dream God gave you a dream at some point. I don't mean a goofy Taco Bell 2 a.m. in the morning dream. I mean a dream for your life. A picture of what the future could be like. A picture that was obviously better than where you are right now. A picture of life blessed by God. A picture of Him actively at work. And of things being like you believe God really 
wanted. But time has passed. Struggles have happened. Priorities changed. Life began to get in the way. It began to be difficult to hold on to that. And all of a sudden, it became a lot easier to just put it on the shelf instead of letting it be what fueled you with a passion for God. The second thing that we often find easy to put on the shelf, the second thing that hits all of us where we live is when a relationship goes badly and we want there to be some reconciling. Our heart hurts because we want it to be healed. We want there to be a reconciliation. We want to reconcile, make things right, bring together, see God work, for there to be forgiveness to be brought back together. So there's no longer the awkwardness, the tension, the distance, the jabs, the frustration. And for a while you held on to it. You, you prayed for it. But because it didn't happen, in fact it seemed to get worse, it began to be one of those areas that it seemed a lot easier to just shelve, to just put it away, get it out of your mind, not pray about it anymore, not think about it anymore because it is too painful. The third area that we are tempted to put on the shelf has really to do with us personally. Some areas in our heart where we have faced some struggles some areas in our life where we've gotten into some habits we didn't ever really plan on. And we have really wanted there to be victory. We've wanted to be able to conquer. We've wanted to be able to get past it. Maybe it's a substance of some kind, or maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a way of thinking. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's something that you found yourself caught up in and you, for the life of you, cannot beat it. There's been moments along the way where God's spoken to you about it and you've, you've longed there to be victory in that area. And you held on to it for a while. It, it was what connected you to God. It was what caused you to have great dependence. But after a while, you got tired. After a while, you didn't see the results you wanted. After a while, God began to ask some more of you. And you said, I, I just can't go there. And so you took it and put it on the shelf. It's a lot easier just to give in to it than to see it as something that God is calling you to and will work in your life. That he is able to not just say that you could have victory, but that you will have victory. But because the step was more difficult, 
Because the challenge became very real all of a sudden, it was easier just to put that on the shelf and say, I guess it's not going to happen. The fourth area is a passion really that every believer has. Every one of us long for this to be true. Some people have parts of it in their life. Some people get to see the results of it. But many check out. It's easier to shelve this one than it is to hold on to it. And let it be that what actually connects us to God. Remember, God loves to work in the impossible. He gets his greatest glory there. And we must be ones who take what we see as impossible and approach him with it, just like Daniel did. Daniel said, I must go back to my house and seek God. I must get with my friends who also seek God. We must do this together. We're facing an impossible situation and we must go to God with it, believing he will answer. That area is desire to be used by God. A desire to know that God is working through you. Where you connect with other people. Where you minister, serve, teach, be a friend to. Be involved in the work of caring for other people. And a sense of going home at the end of the day and knowing God used me today. But I find a lot of Christians who shelve this one. And they say, you know what? I'm just going to do my work thing. I'm just going to do my family thing. Because I don't see God working through me now. And I've made some mistakes along the way. I've got some struggles still. And I don't see how God could use me. And they put that on the shelf. I'm sure you're seeing what's happening here already. Every one of these represent parts of our heart. And if you're taking your heart and putting it on a shelf somewhere, you are living a joyless, passionless, heartless life because these are where God has uniquely designed even your impossible situation so that he might show himself strong. The last one we can all relate to. The last one deals with relationships. The last one deals with people in our lives. People that you, you may not be in a conflict with them. 
Things may be okay with you and them. But what you hurt for is them. Because they're caught in a place of blindness. They're wrapped up in some sin. Some distortion in their thinking. Some spiritual blindness. And they can't see. And it just hurts to see them in that situation. And for a while, it really became the thing that connected you to God. For a while, it was one of those things you thought, I think God's going to do this soon. And then it began to be, I'm not sure God is going to do this. And it turned into, God's not going to do this. And instead of letting it be what connected you to God, instead of letting it be the impossible situation that God was going to work in, you chose to put that loved one on the shelf. It's just a lot easier to do that, you know. Because there's so much emotion involved. There's so much hurt involved. There's just so much in it that to carry it around began to be a burden. Because somewhere along the way, you thought it was your responsibility to fix them. Somewhere along the way, you thought it was going to be in your time frame that they'd change. Somewhere along the way, you gave up having confidence that God would change them. And you put them on the shelf. And so now what you've got is a shelf filled with impossibilities. Areas that you once thought God might work. But since then, you've stopped praying for any of them. Stop believing that God not just could, but will do something. And you've put it on the shelf. Let me remind you of the promise. Promise. Not suggestion. Not Reader's Digest cliff note. Not internet tabloid headline. The confident, sure promise of God. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth searching for those in which God will show himself strong if they will have a heart to believe that he will do it, that they will be faithful to him because he is faithful to them. And if you have put these areas on the shelf, it's really not even fair to ask, God, why aren't you working? It's because you put them all on the shelf. God limits himself. It's not that he can't, but he chooses and says he won't if you don't have the faith to believe that he will. He's not going to do the work and have you sit back and say, well, that worked out coincidentally, didn't it? 
He's not going to do the work and you say, boy, look at me. I could, I, did, I finally saw that situation. God will not share his glory with another. And so what we have to do is take these things off of that dark past shelf that you've put them on and bring them right back up and let them be what connects us to God. God, I don't see how in the world you could reconcile my marriage. Exactly. You don't. And you can't. But God can. Because with God, nothing will be impossible. Impossible. God, I don't see how you could cause that loved one of mine to have their heart changed. I've talked to them and I've talked to them. Other people have talked to them. I don't see how in the world they're ever going to change. I don't even think they are ever going to change. Exactly. Only God can do that because with God, nothing will be impossible. That's right. And God is looking for a generation of people today who will believe that it's possible. He's looking for people like Mary who when faced with the impossible would say, may it be so, Lord. I trust you and you only. I'm not asking you to pick up a bunch of emotional baggage and carry it around again. That's not what I'm asking you. What I'm asking today is what Scripture asks. Will you trust God to work in these areas? Will we be a people who truly have dauntless faith like Daniel had? God, I'm not going to be overcome by the circumstances. I'm not going to be overcome because other people say that's never going to happen. I'm not going to be overcome because I can't figure it out. I'm not going to be overcome because it's never happened before. I'm going to trust you because you are the one who answers in the night. You are the one who gives knowledge to the understanding. You are the one who gives wisdom to the wise. You are the one who lifts up kings and puts down kings. You are the one who rules over all. And so God, I completely wholeheartedly trust you. I have faith that you will work. Amen. So our challenge today is this. What have you put on the shelf in your life? Maybe it's one of these. Maybe it's something else that God is reminding you of this morning because he knows your heart. I don't. I'm confident that right now in this moment he is speaking because that's what God does. I'm confident that he is pointing out areas in our own lives where we have stopped having dauntless faith. We have weak faith at best, or maybe we've shelved it completely and had no more faith in the situation. Whatever it is this morning, would you take that thing off of the shelf of your disinterest, off of the shelf of your impossibilities, and let it be what God takes and uses and shows himself strong in your life in ways you could have never, ever imagined. Would you bow your heads with me? Our message this morning is very personal. It's very real.
It's very tangible because it has our emotions attached with it. It has some pain attached with it. It's got faces attached with it. It's got memories attached with it. But this morning, would you say, God, these are areas of my life I've stopped believing. I stopped trusting. I stopped thinking you could. And I'm not seeing you work. But today I hear the call. I hear you reminding me. I hear you calling me to trust you in the impossible, to believe again, to believe for the first time, to trust you as the one who can redeem, heal, restore, who can make new what has become old, who can bring beauty from ashes, who can resurrect what is dead. God, this morning, I pray for powerful faith in this room. Faith that will be bigger than our fears. Faith that will be bigger than the circumstances. Faith that will be bigger than what we can see. Faith that will be bigger than what we can even figure out in our own minds. And may we trust you that you will do what you say. And we can believe you for that. So, for the children in our lives, for our marriage, for our family, for that desire to be used by you, for that loved one, for that broken relationship, and for that dream that you put in our hearts, this morning we come to believe and trust you. You are the God who reigns over all. You are the God who sees in the dark we will trust you for what is only miraculous is only by your hand you are the God who can do you are the God with which nothing is impossible we pray with faith I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.